Hi, I'm Big Nakuma. And I'm Audio Nerd 64. And we are your Game of Friends, Game of Friends. Game of Friends, yeah. Thank you. Can you please match my energy just once? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, we have so much to talk about logging on. This list is giving me a headache. That we're not even going to say the list. Just check the show notes if you'd like to see the exhaustive list. And frankly, it doesn't even include everything. But there's a lot. These past two weeks in nerddom, a lot shorter. Also, I think more somber than the news. Mm. Don't pour one out for Stan. I have a lot of emotions. Yeah, me too. Mostly sad. Yeah. Um, but we are going to spend the rest of the Nerddom section talking about his creations like we always do. <laughs> he didn't create Rogue One, though. For the most part. So, yes, we are talking Rogue One. We're also talking Daredevil and the Marvel TV shows. Finally, we're skipping the home screen again, because again, all we've been playing are the same (laughs) things. Uh, But we do have a delightful bottom half for you this week. A lovely interview. Yes. We're going to keep the interview a surprise until we get there. So let's log on. Uh, What do you want to get into first? This list is daunting. First on the list, uh, Activision had some shit to say about Bungie and Forsaken. They really did, too, and they said it with their whole-ass chest. (laughs) They completely threw Bungie (laughs) under the bus, and they said that Forsaken has not met their expectations in terms of sales. And I can completely see why. Uh, Frankly, Bungie trashed their reputation and the franchise by completely bungling the first year of Destiny 2. And I can totally understand why people who were bought into Destiny 2 because of the end of Destiny 1, after it had the same cycle of problems, Mm -hmm. you know, you fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Nigga, no, I'm not buying your game. Okay, George Bush. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not particularly surprised uh, by what they said. I think it very much is uh, the sort of, we've been saying it literally since this podcast has started. So here's the thing, though. What I'm worried about is that Bungie will, you know, try to fuck up the game again to make daddy happy. I don't know. Someone from, I don't remember who, whose tweet it was, but someone was like, you know what? You know, we're not disappointed and we're going to keep making the game for Destiny fans. And that's what our audience is. And I was like, okay, whatever. It was Luke Smith, who is kind of a dick. And he is hopefully not bullshitting. Here's the thing. Luke Smith was the face of a lot of the bullshitting in early Destiny 2. So you have no faith. I have no faith in Luke Smith at all. (laughs) Oh, no. And... I'm really worried that the game that I think is in probably the best place of the franchise, as not just from a critical perspective, but from the perspective of a fan. Mm. Like, I am undeniably a fan of the series mm-hmm. who has been so mad at it. And I I can't play enough Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I think is simultaneously being like lauded as one of the greats and also is underrated. It's just so phenomenal. (laughs) I can't play as much of it as I want to because I cannot stop playing Destiny. 
I just, I'm playing every night. I was playing before we recorded this, and I will go back to playing it after. Well, I mean, it's like you see, it's, you're stuck between a rock and a light place. And <laughs> I I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I just, I just don't want them to fold. I just want them to stay the course. Fuck Activision. Give us the game we want. And, you know, maybe their days of lying are over and I have nothing to be worried about. Maybe. We'll find out really soon because the next season starts um, not by the next podcast episode, I think, but by the one after that. Maybe by the next one. Anyway, uh, <laughs> soon we will have more details about what this season pass is going to bring to the next year of the game. And I for sure will be talking about that uh, in the home screen. So we'll see what's going to be happening soon. All right. Let's move on. So let's get all of these launches out of the way. Okay. There are a ton of game launches. Yes. Um, we had Pokemon Let's Go. So cute. We had The Sims 4 Get Famous. We also had- cute. There was also <laughs> Did you see Tanya DePass throwing shade at the, the getting famous as a streamer? <laughs> it was very funny. It was not like shade shade. It was like moderate. Like, mm, yeah, we'll yeah. see how this... <laughs> we'll see how y'all handle this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Fallout 76 launched. And... Yes. Ooh, Hitman 2 launched. Some nukes, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, this one has been out for a little bit, but Walking Dead uh, by Overkill, which are the folks that made Payday 2, also launched. Um, I guess let's start in reverse order, because we do want to talk about some other Nintendo Direct stuff, which is related to Pokemon Let's Go, so maybe we'll do that last. Okay. First up... The folks that brought you all of the game-breaking bugs in Payday 2 that made it unplayable and got it review-bombed and wow. all the other nonsense. <laughs> That's a shady intro. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> they now bring you a Walking Dead game that really sucks, and I'm mad about it because I was expecting to play it and think it's good because I wanted next year to do like a review of all the Walking Dead games because all the Telltale stuff will finally be finished by then. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to also talk about this game, but apparently it's not even going to be worth picking up. Well, who said it Who said it was trash? Um, well, the internet, and I kind of trust them. Uh, <laughs> they, they give me a lot of different opinions about a lot of different stuff. But when it comes to not liking video games, they're really good at making long YouTube videos about why. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so Monologuing. just go, go Google it. Like I watched gameplay where, you know, it, it just doesn't, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be an action adventure game with some kind of cohesive story that, you know, led let you build a base and, you know, survive this zombie apocalypse, really take the content that you're given and, and really embrace it. So what is it instead? It's like bad Call of Duty. Oh. It's, it's like a, a horde mode with two zombies at a time. It just didn't look... Finished, which it seems to be an overkill, uh, yeah. you know, recipe. Maybe I'll maybe I'll check out some videos. I'm not a big zombie person, and I feel like I'm a little uh, burned after State of Decay. Mm. Man, I see. I'm not a big zombie person either, but I sucked. like the Walking Dead franchise because mm. it's more about the humans. I mean, the yeah. I mean, the show was good up until maybe what season? I stopped watching like maybe halfway through season. Four or five? I stopped watching a few years ago, too. 
<laughs> anyway, the point being, the game came out. You can check it out. I would suggest watching some content of it before you go and, and buy it. All right, whatever. Um, <laughs> Hitman 2 came out. It did. I didn't even realize. So Really? I, oh. I feel like the marketing push has actually been pretty, pretty there. Grad school. Fair enough. I, uh, Fair enough. Um, I haven't played it yet because I have not finished Hitman. I'm actually very bad at Hitman, so like I don't know if I actually even want to play Hitman Two. Like I'm, I'm like frustratingly bad, and it's not, it's <laughs> not a game <laughs> that I'm like, oh, I want to get better at this. I just, I don't know. So I might not, I might not even pick it up. To be honest, it's just so fun to me. All the different scenarios, and I do find it to be one of the few game worlds that um, allows you to really do whatever the hell you want. Mm. Um, it, it gives you multiple scenarios that you can play out in your assassinations, and there's challenges to do certain things at certain times. Um, and it looks like Hitman 2 is just more of that gameplay, okay. which I really loved and uh, will need to finish again destiny <laughs> killing a lot of my time but, but you could put destiny down i could but it's too good i'll get to it though i'll get to hitman okay I, I will sure. i do want to play hitman too um fallout 76 launched you know i've seen <laughs> reviews for this game both <laughs> raving and scathing it is quite the the polarizing experience. Yeah. It's interesting to see. I think the folks that, you know, are big Bethesda fans are like used to Bethesda games are kind of putting up with a lot of the Bethesda bullshit that I think a lot of gamers who aren't like diehard fans are going to put up with. Yes. That seems to be... The general consensus. Yeah. Um, it does not look good. I I've said this. I said I probably wasn't gonna get into it anyway. It's just not my jam. Yeah. You know, I love games with friends. I never was into Fallout. So yeah, whatever. Gotta say, what people are saying, <laughs> even the people who are like being like, yo, this game is so great, it has like some problems, but it's great. They're not even convincing me either. I just feel like you have there's like a lot of like stuff you're going to have to either put up with or get over to enjoy this game. And, like, I have Reddit to play. I have Forza to play. You know, like, I have Spider-Man to play. I bet this it's... game is going to be incredible in February. Yeah, apparently there this was, like, a huge 40-gig update. That yeah, just, just today. today. <laughs> I mean, really, though, I the, the it's not that the mechanics of the game are bad. It's not that the content of the game is bad. It's not that what they're going for is bad or doesn't work. I mean, as you said, we have like Bones of Feet members who are they calling love this game of the year. I mean, maybe kind of ironically, but like, oh. you know. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? That gift was, oh man, I, can't, I just, uh, what, who did that? Who, what, what, what gift am I thinking of? I don't know. I don't know. Who said that? That was it. That was it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you know, I 
I'm not trying to rain on anyone's parade. I do think that PC players, probably more so than console players, have a lot I to mean, gripe about. <laughs> shit was getting deleted off the PC. We've already talked about. We all did already the talk about it. So no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, suffice to say, the launch did not solve them, and you know, a lot of people are having a shit ton of fun. Some people are launching three nukes at a time and and crash the servers. The servers. Suppose allegedly, there's no you know causation really. I mean, they mm-hmm. probably was okay, you know, but like you know, as as you know, ethical, responsible podcasters, I can't say that one thing caused the other. Okay, definitively. Great. <laughs> oh boy. More power to you. Uh I hope the update gives you all some solace. Enjoy. enjoy. Uh Sims 4 get famous. The first Sims 4 expansion that I did not immediately purchase and play. <gasps> oh. I know. Uh, I know. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> that was a lot. Was I it? <laughs> never liked the famous system, the celebrity system. Right. What you talked about. I have talked about that. And from all of the pre-game stuff that I saw, there's not enough else in the game that I'm like super into. The world apparently is kind of small. The careers are not something that I would probably prioritize, you know, having one of my Sims do. Okay. Um, And... Because of that, I'm just not, like, jazzed. I'm not saying that I'm not going to buy it because they did add a bunch of other stuff in a free update that I do think is crucial and will completely change the game, like terraforming. You can finally do terraforming with the landscaping. You don't have to hide houses in, like, shrubs and stuff like that to make it look like it's taller than it is or that it sits on a hill or something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can just do that in the game now, which is a huge deal. Um, They added the burglar stuff back in, which I think I've referenced. Um, They did add a new career, which I also think that we've talked about. So, you know, there's other stuff that I do want to check out. So I think over the holidays is usually when I get my Sims on. It just seems to happen that like, you know, the week of Christmas or something, that's what I feel like doing. I feel like (laughs) sitting in front of my computer and playing with my virtual family. Oh, that seems dark. It does. I mean, especially (laughs) since you're going to be down traveling with your actual family. So there's that. Well, who needs them? Anyway. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm Mm -hmm. kidding. Um, But yeah. Uh, excited, excited to, to get into that once I have, have the time. Um, finally we have the Pokemon let's go launch. That's right. Looks totally adorbs. It does. I'm probably not going to get it. Nah. I mean, yeah. I want the Pokemon game that's coming out next year. That's what I want. Which one is that? No, they're making like another Pokemon. Oh, okay. This is like Pokemon. Let's go. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, this is like the, the, maybe the in-between between Pokemon Go and your actual Pokemon game. If it were free and I had a Switch, I would totally play it. Right. Um, I just don't know that I want to pay money to play this. Um, not to say in any way that it looks bad. Um, I, I do think it it's it's a Pokemon game. Yeah. And apparently if you, you know, walked around and you're still playing Pokemon Go, because some people are, you can like import and stuff. So more incentive for them. Ultimately, I'm just jealous that I don't have a Switch because I do think that if I 
I do think if I had a Switch, I would probably have bought it. Wow. It's so, easier for me to say I that like I'm like, not going to play like, it. And now you're like, well, if I had a Switch, maybe. Well, that's the thing. It's easy for me to say because I don't have a Switch yet. So I can wow. say that I'm not going to, and I probably won't. literally cannot. Well, I'm going to have to buy other games. So when right. I buy the Switch and I buy a bunch of games, I don't think I'm going to prioritize Pokemon Let's Go. Fair enough. But I'm incredibly excited that the next fully fleshed Pokemon game is coming to Switch and uh, is next year. All right. Continuing in Nintendo news, Waluigi fans can suck on it. Specifically, (laughs) they can suck on a big old piranha plant because that little fucker (laughs) got to be a character. In Super Smash Brothers, before Waluigi, and there is nothing holy and sacred in this world, and I hate everything. <laughs> Honestly, I, you know, and I, I, I've said before that like I'm, they keep just telling us everything that's going to be in this fucking game, and like there's no other surprises. I'm actually kind of glad that they told me this one because I would have been pissed off. If it was like a new challenger, and I'm like, is that a motherfucking piranha plant? <laughs> And then you act, and then it actually is a motherfucking piranha plant. Uh, girl, they could have kept that one. They re- oof, Lord. I'm just mad on behalf of Waluigi. I, I feel like this is like dirt. This is salt in the wounds. Like it I feel, like, I feel like this is like ha- this is like maybe they were like saw this uproar about Waluigi, and they're like, you know what, we're gonna fuck with these guys. There's a rumor that Waluigi will end up being a playable character, and that it's just like kind of a joke. But I, it's I, taken too far. It's it is. First of all, it's taken too far. If it's a joke, it's taken too far. If it's not a joke, I'm sad. <laughs> second Very of sad. all, second of all, I don't know. I don't <laughs> think that they would react to the internet kind of jokingly. Well, didn't they? Didn't like they make a, a Bowsette a playable character in one of the games? Now I don't know. Don't talk to. I don't want to talk anything about Bowsette. You're I, right. I can't believe you even brought it. I'm that cursed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Situation cursed onto this podcast. Ugh, oh my god! Disgusting! It was so gross. Anyway, the Gamers the rest of the Nintendo Direct stuff was uh, really cute. They had basically like an apocalypse video. You should mm. definitely watch it. Um, Kirby's awesome. Ah, uh, Kirby. Um, but yeah, I you know I'm just counting down. It's really close. Super Smash is coming very soon. I'm not. Um, I feel like I'm not in any rush to play it now because I know everything that's going to be in it. I'm oh, just going to be so like, shut up! You're going to be. First in line, you're gonna be camped out. Uh, excuse me, I don't do that. I do not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'll you're just gonna be pre-order doing. Pre-order it on like Best Buy because fuck Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yo, I'm I'm excited. I bought a PS4. That's right. The other day, you I did. got some great games. I'm very excited to do a late to the party segment where I talk about all these single game, <laughs> all these single player games. We'll just have Chase come back and show and be like, I. Told you so. <laughs> Detroit Become Human I'm gonna was... I'm going to play it first. I'm going to play it first. Doodle. <laughs> I'm going to play Detroit first. Anyway, <laughs> it's like kind of in my veins now. I'm like, I have three cubby holes on my entertainment center. Now two of them are filled. Just and now waiting. I need the third cubby hole filled. Although, do you want to put the switch in the cubby hole? Because you can pick up, you know, like, I feel like it'll be inconvenient to pull the thing out from. Only when it's like mounted, you know? Enough. Like if I'm doing it on the big TV. And to be honest with you, most of the time I probably will. I just want to play. Like, it, How are you going to play with someone if you are hogging the thing laying down? Who cares? Uh, uh, uh. Get two. Play online. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't want his money for that. Goodbye. So... <laughs> uh.
Um, let's let's move on. Let's move so on. More Still more news. <laughs> um, let's move on and talk about the Riot Games class action lawsuits. <laughs> um, a lot of lawsuits in gaming. Lately. Yes, we will get to we will get to all of them. Um, but the first one, so we we covered this a few episodes ago. We talked about the culture of sexism at Riot Games yes. and how uh, women and other folks at Riot were just being treated like dog shit. Um, the whole article is, you know, we can do it justice. You should absolutely go read just, it if you yeah, have not oof. done it. Um, we will link it again in the show notes. Uh, but suffice to say, uh, they're getting their asses sued and they completely deserve it. It seems as though the uh, the gaming industry is is figuring some shit out. I think mm. unionization is, is on the horizon. Hey. I, I see it coming. Hey. Yeah, depending on how far it goes, I think it could set a really good precedent for those who work in the gaming industry. I know this case specifically is about sexual harassment and fairly compensating folks. And I hope it just wakes, you know, other (coughs) companies the fuck up. Like, hey, stop treating people like shit. Can you do that? No, they probably can't. Um, What was the other lawsuit? Oh, so Black Boy... You know, the shoot, that one, the hand and the kicking thing. Uh-huh. That is, you know, made, I wouldn't say black people, niggas knew. Oh, my God. And I think, and Fortnite made it famous, quote unquote. Um, no, they didn't. What? They didn't make, you know what I'm trying to say here. It's like, you know. it's oh, a white it's a people black, found out. White people found out. They, okay. Christopher Columbus did. Um, and he's trying to get his coin, and I'm here for it. Apparently, uh, dancing is copyrighted. Like, okay, so this is very interesting. I <laughs> don't take this for legal advice because I only took one copyright course. So, I was like, when I first heard about this, I was like, okay, yeah, no, they totally have a case because. So, the basics of copyright is once something is in a form that you can, you know, copy it from, then you're protected. So, like, if, you know, you wrote something down on a piece of paper, someone can copy that. A song. It's in a place that someone can copy it from, right? Okay. And also, choreography is included in this. So, like, back when choreography was, like, first introduced into copyright law, it was traditionally, like, written down. Like, do this move. And there were, like, diagrams to, like, show whatever. It was, like, written down on pen and paper. So my gut reaction was like, oh, okay, no, these guys have a case because like it's in a video, you can clearly copy it, you can hire somebody to do a motion capture, play it in a game, boom, right? So apparently this Pitchfork article came out and was like, it dropped some knowledge. So intellectual property law states that it is possible to copyright a series of dance movements in a choreographed piece, but not an individual move, which I did not know. And that seems like a really like wild loophole to me. That's not like because that to me is like, oh, I can just, you know, take this page out of so-and-so's memoir and put it in my memoir. Or I could just take this shit from this song and just throw it in mine, which wouldn't fly. So I don't understand like why it flies in dance. Hmm. Their lawyer is gonna say that's not a move though. That's the whole dance. That is that is the dance. The the move could be a leg kick and an arm kick at the same time, but that's the dance. Um, I don't because I actually understand why you would not be able to copyright a move. 
Because what if someone does the move on accident and they don't know because they're not omniscient? Well, I mean, that's how that's what copyright law is like for in the first place. No, I I understand that, but I mean, like it that is really banal. It would be like copywriting a note. I can understand how you can't copyright a move. Just like you can copyright a song, but you can't copyright a musical note. Or like a chord progression. Right. You can't do that because that's not what makes a song. A move is not what makes a dance. But I would say in the case of, you know, this named dance by this rapper, that it is a dance. It's not just one move. Yeah. It is multiple things that you're doing at the same time, which makes it a dance. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the fuzzy definition is what keeps uh, who owns Fortnite. I would love oh, to work on this case because euphemistically, they've even called it a Fortnite dance. Like it's a dance, even colloquially. Mm. Yeah, it's not the Fortnite move. <laughs> it's the Fortnite dance. Ugh. It's messy, and I, you know, it's just kind of like shitty because it's like, look, you paid like developers to you know, to develop that, you paid someone to, you know, do that in a motion capture suit. Like, you couldn't just pay the person Run that you got it people from. people their money for their creativity. Run us our money. I mean, it's just like, you know, the on fleek woman. It's yeah. like, she, yeah. how many brands stole that from her and she didn't receive a dime? Not a dime. But also, it's like, it's, it's, it's really shitty because it's like, who has the, like, impetus to be like, oh, okay, I just made something up for my art or for whatever the fuck, let me make sure that I copyright it and that I trademark this. Mm. And then it's like more resources. It's like money. You have to pay money to do that thing. Ugh, it's a mess. And I hope at the very least, if, you know, these people don't get paid, at least it scares them off from doing that again. Because you know what? Honestly, if I would have saw that giant-ass carnival that they made and they offered my dance moves, I would have been like, no, you got to run me a check. See, here's You got to run me two checks. He's not even nigga. the first rapper. Like Chance the Rapper called this out. Yep. Uh, a few, I forget the names because they're all like the the new mumble rapper people that I don't know. But <laughs> but they all had something to say about you know Fortnite really lifting their aesthetic and them not getting a dime for it. So yeah. you know I think that that's a real issue and it should certainly be addressed. Um, but not everyone in the video games industry has a ton of money. You know Epic absolutely does, but uh, Prima Game Guides. Shutting down. Damn, that was a that was a transition. They don't have any money. They they're, got, they're done. They're they done. Um, that's, that's just sad. It's very sad, especially because we're talking about Pokemon right now. Mm. I did not exist in the world as a Game Boy player without my Prima Guide along with my Game Boy. Mm-hmm. I kept a little carrying case with my Game Boy that had like a pen and paper so I could write down stuff. And I always had my Prima guy with me in like a binder that I kept some Pokemon cards in. I was a nerd and I had a nerd (laughs) kit. A whole nerd kit. I had a nerd kit when I was like, Pokemon is very serious for me. I can tell. Like I used to write out movesets. I used to have, before they had these fancy charts and stuff like that, I had to figure out 
who was going to damage me and stuff like that. And then I would flip to the back of the game guide and see that they had already done that for me Mm. and would get mad at myself because I didn't read the whole thing first. And then it became a tradition. I would read the whole Prima game guide. And then I stopped when I got older because it would spoil me. The point is I have a lot of memories of this company and I'm actually very sad that they're not going to be doing this anymore. Yeah. That is sad. I'm, you know, I'm also kind of surprised they didn't like make a fold earlier. No, not even fold earlier. Like, make the switch digital or like have digital supplement in some way. They tried, but you can go on IGN and get all the same yeah. information for free. Yeah, they you're publish right. their own guides now f- absolutely for free because they get ad clicks. They don't need to publish anything. You know, it's sad that our entire like entertainment uh, industry is basically built on advertising. <laughs> so. It really is. I mean, because. I think Prima had a relationship with the developers who would grant them early access to the games and like help write them and things like that. Mm. You know, this is not someone who just happenstance was able to publish a book about a game before the game comes out. Right. Um, So nowadays, you know, these folks at uh, these gaming forums are just crowdsourcing all this information and turning it into guides within hours of games being out. Right. I'm I'm sure you can go online and find a full Fallout 76 guide for every quest. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it was inevitable. I'm surprised it took as long as it did, but um, really sad to see Prima Game Guides going and all my run-on sentences when I was talking about it. All good. All right. Uh, another company that folded a title... Hmm. Away from us. Where are you going with this one? Oh, uh, I just got it. I just got it. You just got it. Diablo Four. Vindication was for the gamers. Suppose play it. Hit vindicated. I'm vindicated. I'm savage. Oh, well, we just talked about copyright I'm infringement, right. and here you I'm are. Right. I have thirty seconds. That's I'm not how fair use works. Oh my Is god. Oh, well, okay. Well, I didn't sing enough of it. (sighs) The point is that the gamers who were all selfish, entitled brats still are that. Yes. However, (laughs) they were correct. They were correct. (laughs) They were technically correct. Um, All of Uh. the drum up to Diablo 4 being announced (laughs) was, in fact, drum up to Diablo 4 being announced. (laughs) Kotaku exclusively reported that Blizzard, in fact, pulled the Diablo 4 announcement from the end. It was not supposed to end at Diablo Immortal, and gamers everywhere just played a lot of Dashboard Confessional. (laughs) They just had this giant sigh of not relief, but maybe exasperation. (laughs) They were very exasperated. uh, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, That's fucked up. <laughs> we we talked about it at length. We talked about it at length last episode. Just to put all that drama into context, they were not. They were completely gaslit. Blizzard gaslit the entire community and made it seem like they read into stuff for no reason mm. to cover their asses for pulling Diablo 4's launch. Just r- the audacity. <laughs> yeah, I mean. 
Yeah, it's shitty. Again, still does not excuse death threats. No. It does not excuse Twitter uh, harassment. Acting like petulant children toward any game developer who dares disagree with you. Right. You know, you still can just play Diablo Immortal or not. No one's forcing you to. Like, all those things still stand. Like, yeah. we still need to be adults. However, I now feel like if you want to go and tell Blizzard that they need to shove it for lying to you and all that kind of stuff. Listen, I've been talking to Bungie that way for a year. <laughs> so <laughs> I get it. I get it. Lord. I can't believe they did that though. That's I, wild. That, that shit is tacky. And then, but they fessed up to it. I would have, like, if I was at this, I would have like, listen, none of you motherfuckers are going to say a motherfucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they denied the report. They denied the report in Kotaku. Oh, like, so yeah, wait, they're, they're oh, disputing it. They're saying an inside they source, do. and yes. not that needed to remain anonymous, or else their ass is going to get set to the exactly the dungeon. See, here's the thing: it's not like some you know second rate reporter at Kotaku. It right, was right, Jason right. Schreier. It was a big name person who oh, so yeah, scoops a lot of stuff and is very respected in the industry. Like I believe him. Yeah. If he report, if he was reporting it, I believe it. They so, is so you know lies. <laughs> Blizzard needs to get their shit together. Give us some black women in Overwatch. Just <laughs> and a whole ass game. Just all kinds of stuff. Could you imagine going wrong over there? What a mess! Hot mess. <sighs> Speaking about hot mess, the only hotter mess. <laughs> <laughs> e three. Oh, mess. Mess. So Sony's leaving. <laughs> Microsoft already left, but not all the way. They got a foot out the door. Nintendo was like, we'll call in. Nintendo already left. They said, we'll call. We'll Skype. We'll Skype, <laughs> we'll Skype in. <laughs> um, a bunch of other people do stage stuff, like um, Revolver Digital was staged. Right. It's not, you know, really there. Right. And EA is having their own little shindig. <laughs> they were like around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Like everything is still happening wow. around E3, but. Not really through E3, and now yeah. that PlayStation's gone, oof, I don't know what the show's going to be. It's, like, kind of wild how, like, drastically irrelevant that they've gotten. It's just, like, yeah, gone, like a vacuum. I feel like so Sucked many right different out. places are trying to just do their own thing. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like maybe this is a win for the industry in the sense that, you know, you have to show up at E3 and announce something. Right. If you think about it, none of the stuff that PlayStation was really talking about, except for Spider-Man, had a release date. Everything was just kind of coming up. Yeah, that's very true. So what happens if none of that stuff is going to be ready before E3 next year? It means that they're going to have to show all the same games, maybe with 2020 release dates, which means that you're going to have three E3s of the same stuff. I can see why you wouldn't want to... Put yourself in a position where you have to come with a great show mm-hmm. um, if it's going to be the same stuff over and over again. On the flip yeah. side, um, you know, I would love to see more of Ghost of Tsushima. I would love to see more of The Last of Us 2. I would love to see more of all these other great games like Death Stranding. So I wouldn't mind it if it was, you know, some of the same stuff, but also some new stuff. Look, I agree. But also... I'm terrified because their conference was weird as fuck. It was. And it was I feel bad like last year. 
now they have now they're completely left to their own devices. It it's just uh, I'm just nervous. I feel like whoever was producing that didn't do what they needed to do. I mean, but that's kind of <laughs> was, my point though. Was, maybe they maybe they like need restrictions and parameters set up by E three <laughs> to be like, look, this is what you can and cannot do. Now they just gonna it's gonna be wow. I'm not ready. (laughs) But they're going to be on their own terms. And I think that's the important thing. Yeah. The important thing about (laughs) Microsoft, you know, especially at the the last little conference, the the Xbox, what's the the thing they just had in Mexico City? ID Xbox or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that I don't know what it is called. We watched the whole thing. We did watch the whole thing. And, you know, it was a lot of the same stuff as E3, but there was also new stuff. And I I thought it was fine. Yeah, it was cute. I'm excited for a lot of the games coming to Game Pass because I already paid for Game Pass. Yeah, I I just think it. I, I get both reasons. I get why it's like a big thing that makes really good business sense for Sony. And I also... Like, get why some people are fearing the worst. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. We'll have to see what E3 is like. Maybe by the time we actually get to E3, it's not going to be anything. <laughs> You're like, uh, we have we just one. <laughs> hey, man, we'll be able to go. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going to be there, so we'll let the gamer be like, oh, okay, up. yeah, sure, I think come over. <laughs> oh, oh, my man. goodness. Um, finally. Oh, Jesus. Finally. Jesus. Black it's getting pieces. to be the end of the year. Yes. You know, people are thinking about the best games of the year. Oh, God. They're thinking about giving those games some awards. Ugh. They're thinking about the Game Awards. Wow, you really did that. Good job. Thank you. Um, So, that w- I actually got the website. This looks like basically the uh, Player's Choice mm-hmm. <laughs> Awards. Um, it, it is basically a big popularity contest. Whatever. The categories don't make any fucking sense. Uh, yeah, the categories are a hot mess, but you know, it's not the first award um, yeah. show that I've seen with messy categories. I just don't understand how I Far Cry awards. 5 is not an action-adventure game, and I don't understand <laughs> why Monster Hunter World got nominated for Game of the Year, and I don't... <laughs> You're like, it was <laughs> trash, and you didn't even play it. You still haven't played it. I have played it, remember? Oh, <laughs> That's right. You hated it. I did. I hated it. <laughs> um, there's just a bunch of things that I don't understand. Also, you're nominating Fortnite into a category. It's going to win. You're nominating yeah. Ninja into a category. He's going to win, which is nauseating. Him and Dr. Lupo getting a nomination is nauseating to me. I'm nauseating. voting. I'm just going to vote for everyone that's not them. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a personal thank you to me. Um, yeah, those categories are messy. Uh, I don't know why they bothered naming best family game. They should have just said best, best Nintendo, Nintendo game. game. Yeah, there, there was were no point. Switch games. It should have been like best Switch game with an E rating. That should have been the category. Is the best game. Um, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I haven't played it yet. I can't say. You can't play Overcooked 2 yet? No, I haven't played Overcooked 2 yet. Tragic. And I haven't played it in Mario Tennis, and I haven't played... Well, you don't have a Switch yet. I know. So it's easy for you. That's the uh. thing. That's the thing. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, you know, we'll we'll put some links in the show notes, but interested to hear uh, what folks' reactions are to these nominations. I got to say Assassin's Creed Odyssey is my dark horse for Game of the Year. I'm going to play God of War before I come to a conclusion, but uh, from... From my own top 
game of the year list, I'm I'm really feeling like I want to give it to Odyssey. I we've talked about this, and I'm gonna save it. Yeah, we'll definitely be getting into this a lot more uh, in the future. All right, let's get into some nerdery. Okay, uh, let me just say that anyone who listens to this show obviously can tell how much of an impact Marvel has had on both of us. Mm, Certainly, I I think we all know that I am the Marvel supremacist. Um, I don't. I am an all heroes matter. Oh my god! Type of a. (laughs) So here's the thing. (laughs) I find celebrity death to be like a weird topic Mm. because these are folks that we've never met. Nope. Have no idea who they really are as people. And yet we either revere or revile them Mm. based on, you know, mostly arbitrary data points. That said, Occasionally, I am moved to tears because of the death of some person that I don't know. Mm. And Stanley was one of those folks. He was. Stanley is a fucking goat. A legend. I know that there have been some controversies about him. You know, he wasn't perfect at all, by no means. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of stuff that, you know, came out that ended up not being true. Mm. Um, And I also have seen some racism accusations, which I really looked. Like, I I really looked hard (laughs) to find what they were talking about. And I think the most damning thing that I saw was that apparently someone asked him about whether or not Spider-Man should stay white for the most recent Spider-Man reboot. And Mm -hmm. he was like... Yeah, because, you know, that's how I drew him. And there's a bunch of other black characters. And if you'd like it, if he was black, then that would be great. But he's not. And so, you know, don't, you don't have to do anything. It was not a condemnation. It wasn't like, hell no, keep Spider-Man white. It, it wasn't <laughs> It wasn't that kind of reaction. And I he think just was that, like, well, you know, sorry. It is what it, ah. Yeah, I, I disagree with him. Like, let me be clear. I mm-hmm. disagree with him. I think that's an, you know, archaic attitude. But he was an old man. I don't think that that was a racist thing to say. I don't think it makes him a racist. And frankly, I think the fact that he was so outspoken about race his entire career. Like, you can go and read his little blurbs in the comics from 50 years ago talking about racism. There's a really powerful one that was getting passed around in the the issue after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Like, this is not a man who shied away from talking about race and and making sure that people felt included. Uh, Maybe he didn't do it fast enough in a big, major way, and maybe it took a long time for gay characters and characters that aren't black but aren't white either to kind of get their shine. Mm. But I think that what we have in the Marvel pantheon today is, you know, pretty good. I think that there's a pretty good diversity of heroes. We can always keep improving. And I'm grateful to the foundation that he built for decades of his life that have given, you know, me and a lot of the people in my life so much enrichment. Mm. And... You know, I just will be forever grateful to to him and his legacy and to the whole team over at Marvel who, you know, really 
laid the foundation for so much of my childhood and adulthood. So pouring one out for the iconic Stanley. Enough said. Hmm. 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 Sad. It's sad. But hey, 95, I mean, to live that long and to like to see what you created, you know, basically just keep a job. <laughs> to like, you know, see that built to the caliber that is Marvel, to build to an international audience of people who just fucking love this what is a you long made. way to say that he should be real mad that he didn't get to see the next infinity wars he saw it <laughs> i don't think he's ready yet uh, he, he didn't saw see it. maybe he saw a rough cut oh. i don't want to think about stanley not seeing god is going to screen war. it for him in heaven <laughs> uh, there, there better be a marvel movie theater in heaven <laughs> oh man <laughs> if i die tomorrow i'm going to see infinity war part 2 I need to know what happens. I need to know how they get them back. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. (sighs) Stan Lee's in the Soul Stone now. (sighs) Um, Well, let's talk about a few of his creations. How about that? Daredevil. (laughs) Which is not really one of his creations. (laughs) Which is not. Actually, it's not one of his creations at all. He had no hand in Daredevil. Um, (laughs) Holy shit. We finally got you know, kind of into the meat of the season. We yeah. got past the epic one-shot fight scene in the prison. Look. look Give them look. an Emmy. Give them an Emmy. Whoever did the choreography, whoever filmed that, they just needed to do everything. <laughs> like, imagine if you would have saw, like, Luke in a scene like that, or if you saw Danny in a scene like that. Like, what? Uh, it was so good. Because remember when I was, like, last week, or like, two weeks ago, I was like, yeah, I feel like, you know, like, especially like Luke Cage and Iron Fist, you're kind of just like, meh, sometimes. And like, they, they look cool, but like, they don't go all the way sometimes. And I feel like Daredevil, like, does it. Daredevil yeah. goes all the way. And sometimes it doesn't work. The montage where they go into Bullseye's, like, childhood is a little weird. I liked it. You liked it. But I think that's like, that's taking the risk. And I've, Obviously, like, I feel like Daredevil probably has a much bigger budget than... They clearly have a bigger budget. Clearly have the budget to do whatever the And it's what we were talking want. about before. They, like, are really trying to make art with these shows. And yeah. I think that that whole sequence was very artistic. And I, was, I think it was revealing both about Bullseye and about Fisk. I mean, between that, between that long, beautiful jail breakouts, like, I was, like, completely captivated for, like, the duration of those scenes. And it, I don't feel that way a lot when I watch the other shows. But, I mean, it's like, well, they have the money so they can, like, do the shit. If, like, you don't give the money, if you don't give the money, you don't give the resources, then, like, what can they do? Yeah. So it's, like, it's not surprising. So it's, like, I think watching Daredevil and seeing how great it is is, like, more disappointing that, like, the, <laughs> the other ones aren't. The other ones, like, couldn't even, like, get to the point where, like, where these showrunners wanted them to be. Yeah. Because they weren't funded. So. I feel very strongly about one-shot scenes. I remember the first one that I ever saw. I went and saw Children of Men in theaters. And there is one in particular at the end, although there are several one-shot scenes in the movie. Mm -hmm. There's one in particular at the end, which I believe is over 10 minutes long. It is, you know, a really good chunk of incredible, incredible footage. And the subject matter, as well as... The intensity of the scene 
it just left a mark on me and I think about it all the time. Actually, mm. I, I constantly am thinking about that scene. And when I first watched in season one, the fight scene in the hallway, which was the very long one cut scene in the first season, I felt a lot of the same things. It wasn't on the same scale as Children of Men. Obviously, it takes place in a hallway as opposed to a city, which the Children of Men one-shot takes place in. Um, But there's just something so remarkable about being on your beat for all those different things, having the right facial expressions, not getting exhausted. Like, that's an exhausting thing to do. And I don't know, I just, kudos to the whole team. I was thinking about this one even more intensely than I was thinking about the very first one from season one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just remarkable. I very loved good. it. It was so good. So good. Um, I I really can't wait to watch more of it. I'm, I'm sorry that we've been so busy that we haven't been able to get too much oh. past that. We're a few episodes past that. But mm-hmm. not, we're not halfway yet, I don't think. Whew. These side characters, man. Ugh. That's what I have to say. <laughs> I'm tired of Karen. I'm tired of Karen and I'm tired of the quivering. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She got, she has like that, um, Olivia Pope. Washington. <laughs> yes! <Yeah! laughs> she does. Yes, it's like, they went to the same acting they, school. I'm like, why the quiver? <laughs> but whatever. You know, Viola Davis has her snot. So Yes, Viola Davis do be snotting it up. It's okay. Viola Davis... Invented acting. Invented acting. <laughs> I can't say that because it's Lee Tyson invented acting. But wow. Viola Davis. Listen, I know that we acting. don't like to give mediocre white women their shine, but we're not going to erase Meryl, Meryl Streep. Okay, no. Yes. Who invented acting. <laughs> Meryl Streep was another innovator. <laughs> Lee Tyson gave the platform for Meryl Streep to walk on. And then for Viola Davis to use that platform to, you know, lift off and fly from. Mm, and not get paid as much. And not get paid as much for her. Fl- You're right, though. Mm. Oh, Lord. And not sleep with uh, Niamh. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that. even gonna. I'm no, even you're right. Gonna. I'm not because it's it's taken out of context. It's not. It's not even good. <laughs> it's it's completely out. Of, I respect Viola Davis. So you've got some info on these uh, Marvel TV shows, yeah, of which they've announced you know a few solid sets. I, well, I'm kind of confused because I don't know what the info is fully. Like I know like Winter Soldier and Falcon are going to be buddy copying it up. Oh, apparently one of the writers from. Uh, Taraji and Terrence Empire. Never got into it. Mm. Apparently one of the writers from that show is going to be doing it. Uh, Ooh, great. Is there going to be some singing? <laughs> not that I know of. I hope not. Um, I'm excited, though. Uh, oh, so then apparently... Oh, I was hearing that like Loki and Scarlet Witch got their own shows, but then I heard that like they were also... Their show was together. What? So, I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. Is I it think like pre-Infinity War? Maybe. Uh, there's like no real information and everything is just like rumor, 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 rumor. And not like mm, we have see. a strong scoop here. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm well, excited the other one, for them though. The other one we were going to talk about is is 
not a Marvel character, but I didn't realize that Disney was doing these with like all of their franchises. I thought just Marvels were getting oh. them. So Rogue One's Cassius Andor, mm-hmm. the you know main male character, right, uh, is getting his own show. Oh, okay, but I don't know if it's a vignette like you're talking about with these, or if it's right. a show like I, you know, Disney is just... light on the details. They just like they've got some money to burn. Apparently, they got plenty of money to burn. <laughs> I mean, I, with all this stuff, I I probably will pick it up, especially yeah. if it's not like ten hour long episodes. Yeah, if it's like four forty five minute episodes, I'll I am eat that up. So in there, that yeah. is like you know a Saturday. Exactly. That I'm just like I'm That's not like, doing shit today. I, I want to watch. Need. Like, as much as we were just raving about Daredevil, having, like, five or six of those shows is just too much. Yeah. I was just complaining with Willie, Willie Green, friend of mine, boss, uh, about all the CW shows. They're, like, full, like, 20-episode seasons with 45 minutes, and, like, they have all these big crossovers. I'm like, who the fuck is watching four shows with 40-minute episodes? I was talking about good shows, but I I understand the the whole point, (laughs) like, that you're making— it's just too much. It was too, it's too much. Oh, <laughs> whatever. I'm moving on. The DC slander. All right. Well, I'm glad that we uh, can end this nerddom section with some DC slander. Thanks, Why would Nick. Me? Thank you, Nick. You're welcome. All right. Well, it's time for some music. So this week, we have something a little bit different. Hmm. An interview. Oh. I'm kidding, because we've done interviews before. Yeah, it's not very different. It's not very different. But it's not just any interview. We are interviewing a tabletop game developer. That is new. That is very new. We have not we talked haven't... about anything tabletop. No, that's right. We have not. But we do play. Well, that's not true. We've we've talked some. We've card talked games. a little bit, a little bit card games, a little, a little bit, bit. A, little a, bit. Little a little bit, but not a, not a lot, not enough. And I feel like you know to really talk about the diversity of gaming, we should be talking about more different types of games. We're gamer friends. We're not video gamer friends. Right, we're not console friends. We're not Xbox friends. We're bringing you all the games. <laughs> it's a lot. So yeah, so I sat down with a tabletop developer. Their name is Bree Sheldon. They have a new game coming out. It's called Turns on Kickstarter. And, well, you know, I had, you know, we did an interview. So I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Bree Sheldon, and I'm a game designer, journalist, editor, and leadership educator. And I'm here today to talk about my game, Turn. Turn is a slice-of-life supernatural role-playing game about shapeshifters in small towns where players basically try to explore the lives of these shifters and find balance between their beast and human identities, as well as seeking community with other shifters and mundanes alike. And how do people play the game? 
So this is a pen and paper tabletop RPG where you use uh, six-sided dice, three per player, and pen and paper to play the character narratively by talking and uh, having a lot of enthusiasm. So what exactly does Slice of Life mean? Yeah, it's 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 kind of like The Sims, but like not because that's like simulated. Uh-huh. Slice of Life is like maybe eight, eight p. You know who Bree does a very good job of explaining this. Got it. Slice of Life is literally the day to day life of the character. Okay. Um. So we play out maybe not like the full like all of the day, and that's why it's Slice of Life. <laughs> um, like they woke up <laughs> but, and took a shower. <laughs> Right. But like you cover kind of like you play through maybe them going grocery shopping because something interesting is going to happen whenever they go grocery shopping. Maybe mm-hmm. whenever they go visit their family, you go with them and play along in, in that scene. Um, and so that's a lot of what Slice of Life is. It's like there's not necessarily like big dramatic like dramas or mysteries or whatever going on. It's just people's lives and what they're experiencing and the struggles that they have as they do that. So like that, I think uh, when you say tabletop, I think a lot of people would think like Dungeons and Dragons, is this function in like a similar way or is this like something totally different? So it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons um, in that you have character sheets and stats where like you roll dice and add the numbers to it and everything. Mm hmm. Um, but it's not quite the same in that it doesn't have as strict of a structure between like the GM and the players. The players have a lot more creative input than traditional Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, how so? Basically, the the GM is called the town manager. And while they do a lot of the, you know, initial creation and scene setting and stuff like that, they also ask a lot of questions of the players and invite the players to make things up as they go along. Okay, so it it sounds more like collaborative. Yes, yes, it's Very a nice. much more collaborative game. So then I wanted to get into what inspired Breed to create such a collaborative game in the first place. So I was playing a bunch of different new to me RPGs um, in the indie scene, and I kept on finding that like I wasn't satisfied fully. Mm-hmm. Um, I was enjoying myself, but I wasn't hitting all the notes that I wanted to hit. So I took a lot of time. Um, I worked on this game starting from 2013 and designed it up until present. Yeah, it's been in development a while. (laughs) And uh, I I played, you know, some games and I was just like, ah, not really hitting the right thing. And then I I did what I call destructive design, Mm -hmm. which is I took other games apart and like concepts apart and some different things and um, basically looked into them and figured out what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it and what was still missing with was Monster Hearts. And um, it's a teenage monsters game. Um, And the biggest things about it that I found that I wasn't like fully satisfied with whenever I was liking a lot of other things about the game were that it mostly is a pretty high drama game. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of intense stuff is going on. And you're playing teenagers and that just wasn't like what I was looking for. So I started those things <laughs> and uh, kind of went from there and found out that like I really was looking for like a quieter drama 
and I wanted like slice of life aspects. And I still I still loved like supernatural stuff. Right. So I wanted that, but maybe not like as complex as stuff. And yeah, so I just found little bits and pieces, broke it down and pulled out what I liked. I've actually I don't think I've ever played a game like that. I don't think there are many to be to be honest. Um, <laughs> I know there are some, and especially in the indie scene, there's a lot of tinier games mm-hmm. um, that haven't gotten. And by tinier, I mean like in the public eye. Right. right. Um, there, some of them are like full fledged games. I'm sure. I I know I've heard of a few. And then there's also stuff like uh, Golden Sky Stories, which is more of like a, a kind of um, magical slice of life almost because you play. It, it does actually involve characters that like can go into different forms and stuff, but it's aimed more um, for a lighter and like gentler tone. Who do you think would be like the ideal player for this game? Me, um, to be honest, <laughs> the, <laughs> the game is designed with my preferences in mind. Right, right. Um, like I worked really hard at that to make it exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but. If you're looking for maybe something a little bit more low key mm-hmm. and you still want to have supernatural elements, but maybe don't feel like dealing with like the full on like masquerade and stuff of what some fictions do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like exploring things like identity and community in games, mm. um, then you probably will at least like giving turn a try. Okay, how how does Turn explore identity and community specifically? So those are the two kind of main themes of the game, in in many ways, I guess. Uh, as as shapeshifters, you often struggle between your beast and human identities. Mm-hmm. But with some of the essays associated with the game, um, I talk a lot about like marginalized identities and stuff like that. So like that's part of the game too. Um, is like living in a small town and being maybe a little different and having to kind of live with that and explore what that means, as well as at the same time experiencing your beast and human identities trying to find balance. And so there's a lot of that. And finding community whenever you're someone who's different or when you have something to hide is really important. And Mm. I think you not only have to find community with like the town people that you interact with who are mundanes and not shapeshifters to like make yourself safe in the town, but also with other shifters. So you have people who you can commune with. Hmm. That, wow. That's, that's real. (laughs) (laughs) So you said that this game has been in development for five years where, so like we, we've talked to developers who've done like, you know, like, I guess your more traditional idea of what games are now. So, like, consoles, mobile stuff. Mm-hmm. What does the development process even look like for, for something like this? So, from 2013 to 2016, I had tiny little notes stashed away in a billion places and never put anything <laughs> together and never actually fully wrote anything down on paper. Because I didn't know if anyone else would believe in it. Mm. Um, and, like, I know a lot of designers who their ideas, they just keep locked up for a really long time and then just, like, you know, put it out in little pieces or whatever. I wrote it down in, like, two weeks and have just refined since then. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But uh, 
it's it's a lot of writing and a lot of playtesting. Um, I play games online, face to face, with various people. And as as much as I say it's a pen and paper game, you can play this digitally. You just use like Google Docs or something like that to manage the documents and keep track of your roles, either in front of you or using like a dice roller online. And it's very, a lot of it is just very much like, does this work? Okay, let's just try again kind of thing. Um, thankfully, I didn't have a lot of failed experiments. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, I think one of the benefits to doing all the like practicing in my head and like running it over and everything is that I just kind of got past some of my hiccups mm-hmm. uh, real early. Um, and some of it was just making sure that I could explain it well to people. That's the biggest part of like development and like putting it together for an audience is making sure it makes sense. So, yeah, that and that was hard for me uh, <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but I eventually got it, you know, on paper and it's actually going through an editor still like to make sure that the final product is the best it can be. OK. Hmm. Can, can you walk me through, um, I guess, more of the like. Finer details of uh, of the development process. So there's. There's a couple of things that I've done, and a lot of it was literally just writing down my thoughts of how I wanted things to work and what I wanted to happen. Um, I used a process called emotion mapping. It's something I've written about on my blog, um, Thoughty, that is a tool I use to help me understand what I want to design into the game and what I don't, mm-hmm. um, where I draw out emotions like words for words that are emotions, basically, on a sheet of paper uh, to kind of put what's biggest and what's smallest and what to highlight and what to minimize. And that was the earliest stages. Um, And I have redone those a couple of times over the process of the project to make sure that I'm meeting my goals and haven't changed my plans. Mm -hmm. And I also have done um, a lot of playtesting, which varies from just like redoing town creation over and over to make sure it sounds right and works right to actually having people at a table or on screen and, you know, playing through a session at a time and um, checking probability for dice rolls was something that, you know, you have to worry about whenever you're doing a tabletop game. And it is one of my least favorite things because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really bad at math. Um, so I just, uh, I had to learn like how probability worked for a like a two d six dice roll, and uh, that's two six sided dice. And then um, I decided I didn't like the success rate on that, so I did an optional added die, which improved the success rate, um, obviously, but you know added a mechanical consequence and requirement for those things mm. um, to make sure that people didn't like overuse or burn out or whatever. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of it, honestly, like, is just the same kind of, here's a mechanic, let's make sure that it works um, by, like, playing it or testing it by itself, like, a whole bunch, like, re-rolling the same roll a whole bunch of times to make sure that, like, it feels right and everything, and making sure all of the different bits and pieces interact. Hmm. It's not a really interesting process, I think, for most people. Like, it sounds super boring. Like, I just do the same thing over and over again until it works. But because that's design work, it's super frustrating sometimes. But 
Um, I do love actually designing. So I, uh, that's probably, it was writing it down for people that actually was the hardest part. Um, because whenever I tried to explain it to my husband the first time, uh, John Sheldon, John W. Sheldon, he's my business partner. He, uh, he was like, you just explained everything completely backwards. And I was like, I did. And I don't know how to fix that. And so, (laughs) (laughs) so it was kind of back to the drawing board of like, how do I explain this to people in a way that means they can play the game? Um, and that was that the largest part of development has been taking, you know, the little bits and bobs of like, well, these mechanics definitely function now that we've tested them a couple of times. Um, so can we make people understand them? Okay. What? Hmm. Was that not what you expected? No, no, that was, that was great. That was great. I, there's so many. Yeah. I, everybody has very different processes and I think mine is very like uninteresting kind of, because I just kind of like do a lot of repetition and then like, I decided this and I'm done. Um, so Well, you know, it's it's funny that you say, or interesting that you say that it's uninteresting. I think it's interesting. Well, that's good. I mean, I I think it's like anything. Like, or I'm thinking of like how people like, you know, sit in front of computers and code things and they have to keep coding things and, you know, checking if stuff works and then they realize that they miss a semicolon or something or, you know, whatever you're creating. I feel like the design process is very much I have this little piece let's put it together does it work does it not work mm-hmm. and you know just keep going and go and then and I'm curious to hear more about what it was like when people were first interacting with the game and first learning it because I think like that is like probably one of the hardest parts as you know as you just said oh yeah it was it was pretty rough um like it was overall positive reception um I had a lot of enthusiastic friends who like were willing to take a look at it who are also designers and could give me, you know, critique and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but the biggest thing is kind of making sure that people understood how the game was played because as turn is a quiet drama and it's a slice of life game and it is not intended to be played kind of to the hilt like a lot of RPGs are. <laughs> right, right. And like it uses mechanics that are like a shade off of Powered by the Apocalypse kind of that I did destructive design of powered by the apocalypse game Mm -hmm. to help inspire, you know, some of the, like the dice rolling is 2d6, which I learned about 2d6 through powered by the apocalypse. So yeah. Um, (laughs) and, um, like some of the things in the game are called struggles and they're kind of like moves, but like super not actually moves. (laughs) (laughs) and uh don't function like them and it confuses people when they try to use them like moves so that was actually big that was a really big thing it was really challenging because like people had to like be like no you have to kind of change what you're doing a little bit before you play the game Mm. can you explain more what when you say they're like a shade off from these mechanics in 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 this other game I'm, i'm interested in like what like, what specifically did you have to change uh, to have those mechanics suit what you wanted to do? Um, so there were there were some pretty significant changes to talk to talk about the dice rolling. It's two d six, but there's an additional die, and the rolls don't predict success or failure. In turn, in turn, you 
succeed at what you're trying to do. It just might take time and it will have consequences, mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge change from a lot of games. And so it's not like Powered by the Apocalypse anymore. Like as soon as I added the third die and then I said, you know, you succeed, that just like threw everything off. Um, and for uh, like the struggles, the way they actually work is uh, you're always rolling against a penalty and they only define the consequences. But they're like Powered by the Apocalypse games in that they're fiction forward kind of like you do them because of what happens in fiction. Okay. Um, and they use a specific six minus seven to nine and 10 plus uh, ladder. So they're like just similar enough. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I like introduced some people to the game, they were just like, but this doesn't work like a move. What are you doing? And I was like, it's not supposed to. <laughs> it's supposed to do something <laughs> completely different. Right, right. Um, and so that's what I mean by like a shade off. Like they they have like similarities, but like games, a lot of games have similarities, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to come back and interrupt for one second. Basically, all you need to know is that Powered by the Apocalypse is basically like a more strict Dungeons and Dragons. Basically, the moves that Bree is describing here define the whole game and what you can do in it. So I understand the confusion. So let's circle back a bit. I wanted to get some more details about the town creation in the game and character creation. So town creation is a pretty important part of the game. And it was actually the first part of the game that was designed um, and like kind of decided on an official. Mm-hmm. And um, basically town creation involves creating a map. Um, you can do it on paper or like using like slides or something on Google or something like that. And you basically put your town name in the middle and choose a town type. And that helps you define the kinds of elements that will be in the town. And these elements, they're the themes. And those include stuff like wealth and poverty and waste and legacy and tradition. And then they have bloodlines, which are, they're basically like the important towns like families, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them have the capacity to be shape- shapeshifters, but like they aren't necessarily. And a lot of the time, most of them end up being mundane. And then you'll have like the the shifter bloodlines are the ones that the players pick as their bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, but it basically like gives some structure to the town of like who the people are. Everything in the town can like connect to one other thing. And so you build out like the themes from the town and then the bloodlines can be from the themes or the town and so on going outward whenever you add in locations which are places where the shifters in whatever form happen to spend time and events which can be historical recurring or like ongoing um they can be anything from like a current crisis in the town to something like we had my favorite one (laughs) still uh 13 dead no one talks about it um, and mm. it was supposed to be like years and years ago that this happened. Um, but it's still reflected on the town that this bad thing had happened. Mm. So um, the, you basically build those up. There's a certain number of each of them based on like how many players you have at the table. And uh, it creates this really like lovely expression of the identity of the town and what matters. Because like you put the stuff on the map, like how close it is to the map the town center like 
defines how important it is and like how things are close to each other are related to each other and stuff like that. And it can make some really interesting relationships between like ideas and like the themes and the bloodlines and the locations in the town and everything. Um, so character creation is um, after town building always. And you first uh, go over the character sheets uh, for the human roles and choose your human role. And then you fill out a little bit of information and then you choose your beast uh, archetype because you have two character sheets. Right. And um, yeah. And and once you've chosen both of those, you fill out some information and you do relationships with each other as players and then with NPCs in the town that you create. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. The NPC relationships are very exciting (laughs) because you can build up exposure on those and exposure is Really exciting. Hmm. <laughs> that's I. That's interesting. Hmm. That's really cool. That like, in a lot of ways, the players are just are also a part of the development process. You know, for like their specific. Yeah, it it makes you feel more connected. Like I think in my experience, like you, the players get to participate in building the town, so they get to talk about what themes they want to explore and stuff like that. Um, the actual there's a questionnaire kind of as part of creation and everything and it's for part of the first scenes that's called discovering turn and the players get to basically like answer information about like how shifters exist in the world and like what it means to be a shifter mm-hmm. um and like that's like very important for for me for players to have a lot of involvement in the actual creation of the setting and the town and as well as the npcs they interact with because the game is supposed to be fun and if you get to have input on what the other parts of the experience are, you're more likely to have a good time. Right. Right. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. Such a thoughtful consideration, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, admittedly, it's pure selfishness because I designed this game entirely for me. I mean, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? Yeah, I... I, I'm I'm grateful that like designing for me seems to have appealed to a bunch of people um, mm. because I think maybe the kind of like quiet drama and stuff that I'm looking for is something that other people might want too and like so like the collaboration and you know group creation and stuff is really I don't know an appealing aspect because I don't know we all love to tell stories. You know, mm. like that's a large part of the reason I think why we play like to play characters and tell stories are like two high things in that. And I think in turn, you get to do a fair amount of both. So uh, where is the game now? So uh, turn is basically done um effectively it it's currently on kickstarter it's going through an editorial review and it is it is like a developmental editing but it's not in changing any of the mechanics or any of the structure of the game it's more organizing the document and making it readable and making it clear okay um so at this point there is a beta that you can access the kickstarter as well as a one-shot sampler that has, like, example towns that you can play with. And it's really just a playable game. It's it's fully playable. Um, it's just undergoing refinement, basically. 
So at this point, I was like, oh, should I ask about like why a Kickstarter? And you heard the raw interview, so you know I was like yeah. struggling. Because <laughs> um, I don't know, to me, the answer seems obvious. Right. Right. Um, but I ended up just asking anyway. And I'm glad that I did. So I decided to use Kickstarter because this is currently my full time job um, games and uh, both. Game design, my blog, uh, Thoughty, and uh, Leading with Class, my leadership show. None of which bring in basically any funds. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I am very grateful for my Patreon backers for both of the, you know, things that I run, like Thoughty and, and Leading with Class. But it's just compared to expenses um, in this day and age, it's not really a thing. And while I share an income with my husband, he pays for like our house and like some of our bills. I have a lot of medical bills mm. that I can't like handle all over my own. So we don't have extra cash. And to publish a print product, you need to have a lot of cash. Like a lot. Yeah. Like whenever I did Behind the Mask, which was a previous project I did. Uh, it costs, um, like I think five or so dollars, like, or more to do like one copy of it print. And it was a zine. Oh, geez. Um, for a lot of the quotes that we got, like with volume, you, it gets reduced, which is part of the reason why you do a Kickstarter to get tons of people to, you know, contribute and, and order a book so that you can pr- provide it at a better margin and make some money off of it. Right. Um, but part of it is like printing costs money, editors cost money, and it's obviously being edited by someone who isn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, I need layout. I need art, you know, and that's that's a lot. It's a lot of money. Like the Kickstarter goal is 10000 and we're very close to that, thankfully. Um, awesome. Congratulations, because I know that is not... An easy feat. No, it's really not. Uh, We haven't reached it yet, but we're very close and I'm very grateful. Um, And like that, I only get paid like me personally, $300 out of that. uh, If we hit goal. (laughs) And I've been working on this for five years. Yeah. (laughs) Shit. So it was a hard choice, but it's the only way I could afford to pay for the art and the editing and the layout and the printing to get the product out there that I think turn should be mm. like for people to consume and, and play. So yeah, it's kind of gross capitalist thing. It sucks. <laughs> like I'd rather not do it. I'd love to just be able to put it up there and be like, Hey, but the game has actually been free online in a playable form for at least a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So like, this is really just like the kind of, Point of absolution for the the product to be what it's meant to be right yeah i mean yeah Ugh. it's just it's such a bitter answer i'm so sorry I, no no i mean it's it's the truth and you know like i you know i get it. i i'm newer to the content creation world but i've always been a musician um and an artist and i understand i, I get it oh my god <sighs> yeah it's very challenging yeah well, I'm ha- I am happy to hear that you are close to meeting the goal. So that's that's good. It's, you know, that you have the engagement there. Yeah, I'm super hoping we hit it so we can get to the stretch goals that 
we have been trying to get to. Ah, okay. Uh, and those will be unveiled whenever we, you know, hit our hit our goal, um, or shortly after, depending on basically depending on when the goal actually hits. Like right. if I'm sleeping, it will wait until morning. <laughs> <laughs> so spoiler alert. Turn did in fact reach his goal. Congrats to the team at Turn. But like Bree said, there are stretch goals for those who want to contribute, and these add more goodies to the game. I'm gonna lift this straight off of Bree's Twitter, but that includes beast archetypes, human roles, and different cultures and locations. You know, all the console folk can just think of it as like tabletop DLC. You have until the end of the month, November 30th, to contribute, and the link is in the show notes. Well, I think that is a motherfucking show. That's a show. I'm really excited to play this game. Yeah, we got a... Well, on Kickstarter. You got to support. And they're well past their goal. So there's a lot of stretch goals that they can reach now. And you all, gamer friends, can help the team at turn do just that. And you should. Show up and support indie developers. Support indie developers. Thank you, Bree, for the wonderful interview. I definitely learned a lot. I think the listeners also learned a lot. I learned a lot. Nick learned a lot. It's just two people. Hmm. I'm sure it's more than two people. It is, but it'll be the most people if you would tell your gamer friends about this show if you enjoyed it. Look at you. Transitions. I always do them well. You do do them well. Thank you. Also, rate, review, and subscribe on your platform of choice. And we will see you back here in two weeks for another episode of Gamer Friends. Deuces. See ya. Um, was there anything that you wanted to add uh, to the interview? The only thing I would say is that um, I really hope that everyone gets a chance to check out the Kickstarter and see if there is a backer level that reveals the beast within them. And um, that whenever they do get to play, they find balance and community because that's what this is all about. All right. You've practiced this, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, I haven't said that exact thing at all. Oh, well, <laughs> so. all right. Well, that definitely has to go in the episode then. That was great. <laughs>